gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 28, the review segment for... Friday, June 27th, 2014. Today, Kate Yeager is our guest host. He has but one thing to say, which is, I think we found a Transformer. Because we're reviewing Transformers. Uh, fuck, what's it called? Age of Extinction. Age of Extinction. <laughs> How is anyone supposed to remember that? It's a classic name. Yep. It's a, It's no Revenge of the Fallen. Since, no. since Empire Strikes Back, we haven't had a great subtitle since That's Age true. of Extinction. So it's really the... Uh, dawn of justice but of our time <laughs> anyway it's the new transformers movie uh michael bay is back i guess the cinematographer is back but none of the actors are i don't know are there other important people besides michael bay who have returned for this production steve jablonski the composer jablonski, a new member well, of the academy steven not spielberg only, is back right no back. not only he, he uh he is receiving his paycheck uh not <laughs> only uh, are shia labeouf and well, Megan Fox is already gone, but Shia LaBeouf and all the rest are Josh Duhamel. Uh, gone. But also, yeah, there's no there's no uh, real U.S. military presence outside of like CIA death squads, which means that Tyrese and Josh Duhamel and I totally forgot are. about them. Not until just this moment did I even wonder where they went. That's so funny. <laughs> well, we will. Uh, we'll, we may or may not get into the uh, role of the U.S. military and uh, you know U.S. government in general in this movie. But anyway, it's a. Uh, uh, five years after the Battle of Chicago, remember Chicago? I know we all fondly remember. Hashtag never forget. Hashtag never forget the Battle of Chicago, where a uh, Decepticon uh, turned a building, cut a building in half, inspired by Michael Bay doing crunches, um, and all the Autobots went <laughs> into hiding. What? <laughs> what? No, you never heard that? That no. he like was doing crunches at the gym, and he was like, "This would be an awesome way to tear down a building." And that that part where like the Decepticon with like the tentacles like wrapped. Oh yeah, you've seen it was like the big shot in all the trailers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, that was Michael Bay. Doing <laughs> He's a psychopath. It must be so great to be able to, because I think we all have thoughts like that from time to time. Like, wouldn't this be great? But if you're Michael Bay, you're like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I'm going to put everyone through it. <laughs> yes. like, I'm bored. What else can I think about? And then Michael Bay this is a fellow, you know, fellow uh, alum of, of Wesleyan of, University uh, with Katie Rich. Yeah, I'm I feel like, pretty sure. I feel like doing he, crunches is a stand in for like doing blow off a model's <laughs> ass. But then hmm. what, what bends in half? The what if there was a the the ass crack ass? or something? I don't know. Oh, that's disgusting. Um, I was just about to start trying to describe the plot, and then I realized I was very quickly going to run out because I don't understand half of what happened in this movie. There's a ton going on. Much of it doesn't make sense. They're basically running from place to place. Mark Wahlberg and uh, his daughter and his daughter's boyfriend, who he's very angry about because, you know, young women's sexual agency is terrifying. Uh, they go from uh, Texas to Chicago to... A spaceship to Hong Kong, I think, is <laughs> the rough. Yeah, that's pretty much right. right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They go back they, to Chicago for some Chicago reason. Chicago again. Yeah, which seems to have been rebuilt in five years' time. Chicago must have killed Michael Bay's parents. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, uh, there is there is a potentially neat set piece involving the very top of the Sears Tower, but unfortunately, it is uh, it is not especially excitingly filmed. Yeah, but so we'll get there. Uh, they wind up in Chicago. Basically, there are people who are trying to hunt down Autobots or uh, people slash government-made Transformers. So Optimus Prime is in hiding. Mark Wahlberg finds him. That puts them into an adventure. 
Well, there's uh, lockdown. Let's not forget. There's like there's the intergalactic. Lockdown. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't tell if they were saying the word lockdown, like lock it down, or if that was the character's name. But it is indeed friend. an alien assassin hunter. No, no. As our no. friend Chris Rosen referred to him today, lockbox, which I think is a uh, is a much, much better. better. Uh, he's sort of an intergalactic bounty hunter. He's very much in the Ojimbo mold, and that he doesn't. Shut up. He seems a lot more interested in trophies than in playing sides against one another. It doesn't seem that much of an angle beyond just. What do you mean he has? He does have an angle. He wants to deliver Optimus Prime to like the creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like he's not. He's not here to cause trouble and mayhem. He just wants to do his job. He's not looking for Energon. Where's there's also um, shit. Not Gravitron. Keep trying. Galvatron. Galvatron. Who is is evil and who was built by Stanley Tucci? No. Oh, yeah. Yes, he's a he's a resurrected version of Megatron. Even Michael Bay could tell this story more coherently than we are right now. I don't I know. I, I truly <laughs> don't know if you asked him to lay out this plot. This plot, I mean, none of the Transformers movies have plots to make that much sense, except for possibly the first one. So we're really kind of beating a dead horse. But you're going here is to see all the visuals and see the things that get people like David Ehrlich really excited about the uh, visual stylist that Michael Bay is. David, did this deliver enough visual style for you to forget the fact that the movie made no goddamn sense? No, but I, I feel like we owe our listeners just a, a smidgen really? more plot, just okay. a smidgen, which nothing. is just to develop that uh, that Michael Bay, that uh, Mark Wahlberg is an inventor. He's playing an inventor. It should have been uh, Rick Moranis. I'm really convinced this was a role written for like an old schlubby inventor <laughs> type. Movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And then you give him a gun. He's like fish out of water when he has to start shooting people except instead of the other way around. That is not He's essentially the, the white transplanted Bostoner version of Martin Lawrence's character from Bad Boys 2 in that he has a very regressive uh, paternal relationship with his sex pot daughter uh, and he's the kind of guy who would sooner take her to like a purity ball than he would at her prom. Oh, there should and, have been a purity ball in this. And then like she's in a relationship with an older man, a slightly older man, he's 19, but they have a uh, a, a laminated card that he, the boyfriend carries in his wallet that says it's okay they can have sex under the Romeo and Juliet laws. Of t- anyway, uh, so they're sort of the the human proxies in this. Um, no, I, this movie I I'm on record on uh, the former incarnation of this show of being <coughs> a huge cheerleader for Transformers Three because I thought that uh, there was a certain alchemy in its madness and incoherence and in but that that mixed beautifully with the lucidity of the action with michael bay uh pushed into 3d in the third one he had to step back and find a visual coherence uh that was missing from the first two installments and i think as you see in really across the entire movie but certainly in that final hour uh it's it's a really there's a there's a real grace to how everything unfolds it's a real sense of spatial relations that i think uh is really makes something like pacific rim laughable um especially you know following something like that and um uh i was writing about it today and it felt like you know this could be a stretch but like the way the movement the way that the story is so nonsense in the third one focuses the attention on the movements on these sort of digital movements in a way that reminded me of like a pina bausch dance more than anything else and i really really love that and i have a soft spot for it this movie really let me down because not because of uh it's certainly it's weirder and funnier deliberately in its own way than the previous installments and like it's even weirder. No, but there's a 
It is, I think it is. But there's there's a sloppiness to the filmmaking, like a regressive sloppiness that I think harkens back to how Bay filmed the first two installments, particularly the second, which I thought he had moved past. I thought he had transcended um, and he hasn't. There are set pieces here that I know from seeing his previous movies that he could knock out of the park. That set piece that we re- referenced earlier on the top when they have this giant alien spaceship tethered to the top of the Sears Tower should be awesome, but it's sort of grungy and haphazard. Uh, the design They spend a long time in the inside of Lockdown's spaceship, and it's just horribly underlit and generic. Uh, and then the big sequence that I was looking forward to at the end in Hong Kong is really a scattershot mess, and you have no sense. Wow, there's of no sense the of geography flow. in that, right? No, well, um, because half of it is, or less than half of it, is in Hong Kong, and most right, of it right. Some of it's in Detroit. Detroit. No, right. Detroit. I mean, you yeah. wonder if he was hamfisted by uh, the logistics of shooting. You know, the, in the third film, they could just. You know, all Chicago could be Chicago, and it's just a, a mesh of digital spaces and and physical spaces. But here, uh, as you can see in Kevin B. Lee's pre-make that we discussed on a previous episode of the show, uh, they shot so much of the climactic Hong Kong battle in downtown Detroit. And if you've seen the pre-make, you can see exactly which pieces they were, and it not it, they don't do a very convincing job of tying it all together. Um, and they, when they introduce like the Dinobots and everything, which look cool for a few moments, um, I'll take with maybe right. Minutes left. I mean, I'll take Optimus Prime riding a giant alien robot dinosaur and mushing it with his sword over a ape with a machine gun on a horse any day. But oh my uh, god, you haven't even seen that movie yet. Stop. <laughs> purely from a design, purely from a uh, things that tickle my fancy. But there, there's just they don't. Because the space is so chaotic and and, um, there's no fluidity to the battle, it it really – all this coolness is really sort of wasted uh, and you're left with John Goodman voicing a uh, fat bearded giant transformer who has a bullet for a cigar, (laughs) which, you know, gets you somewhere. But And Kim Watanabe as a samurai transformer for some reason. Yes, who recites haiku poetry. I was saying to Katie earlier, I don't know how uh, when the Transformers arrive on Earth, they choose which cultural stereotypes to appropriate into their forms. If like one of them is like, oh, you know, Japanese culture really appeals to me. So I'm just going to you know, be a mercilessly reductive stereotype of, of that. And John Goodman and, is like, I don't know. I'll just be John Goodman. And Kim Watanabe <laughs> gets paid incredibly well. So everyone goes. Yeah. Patches, what did you think of this movie? I walked out of the theater of this movie and people were like, wasn't that awful? And I'm like, I, I couldn't even muster up the energy to call this movie bad. Like, you are so broken by it. Yeah, kind of. I mean, bad movies still provoke you in a visceral way. Like, you want to come out and be like, it's awful because of this and this. And I just felt really dulled down by Transformers. And, you know, David, I know that you've made a big deal about not complaining about runtime and that sort of thing. But, like... At two hours and 45 minutes, I just I, – it was astonishing where this movie didn't go or didn't have any energy left at the one hour and – like an hour and a half mark. There's a moment in the film where um, Mark Wahlberg's daughter played by uh, Nicola Peltz who was in The Last Airbender and she is apparently the, um, the heiress to the Snapple fortune, which is not yeah. relevant but interesting. Um, she gets kidnapped by Lockdown, Lockbox. And um, everyone screams, and it just sets off another I reason. Kidnapped though, she's not there for any reason. 
That's true. She just gets caught up in Optimus Prime being kidnapped for some reason. Um, just another way to like shoot us in a different direction for a little while until we hit the finale. Uh, and I mean, it takes an hour in a misdirection. So, but like at that moment, I'm like, this is where the intermission would happen if this were 50, 60 years ago. Like, this is a very clean delineation where this is the second half of the movie. And by that point, nothing has happened. They haven't really accomplished anything in terms of plot or character. I mean, you don't you don't want to complain about that kind of stuff in a Transformers movie because people will give you shit, right? This is just stupid. Like, get on board of the ride, and, and it is a ride, and it's just supposed to be about the visuals. But even that, like, I thought was very tepid in this installment. More and more, and I'm this is also astonishing, I feel like Transformers 1 was more coherent. I could just tell, like, there weren't that many robots, and the action wasn't that crazy that I could tell a little about what's going on. I've always found the... The, the Transformers to be so detailed that my eyes have a difficult time sensing them in space against hyper-detailed backgrounds like Chicago. Um, and then seeing them move, like there's a few occasions where, and I think it's mostly in the trailers, where they go slow motion so you can see them moving in space. We can see every part of them. But it's so rare. Like they're always falling down. The Transformers are always tripping and rolling in a ball or transforming on the go into their car form or whatever and like crashing through glass or hitting the mud and flying in your face. It's just a mess of pixels. It's all pixels. And I really don't get... I don't I don't get the enthusiasm over that. I mean, I've always found this to be consistent throughout most of the movies, and it's gotten bigger and bigger and more pixelated as it's gone on, which is why Dark of the Moon didn't work for me either. But um, this movie was just a jumble of, like, erratic imagery. Uh, and and the best scenes, the best Michael scenes... Yeah, but where this movie kind of excels is there are like a few car chases in the beginning of the movie. And that's what he does really well. I mean, talk about bad boys or bad boys too. They live in uh, Paris, Texas, which I thought was an, a nice homage to uh, Michael Bay's, you know, inspiration, of course. Oh, yes, movie. of course, of course. And there's, there's a big car chase through corn. You got to get corn. It's always the sun is always setting in these movies. And actually, those scenes are very nice. Um, and he kind of dials down this hyper saturation that I thought was really killing off Revenge of the Fallen and Dark of the Moon. It seems to be a little turn dial back. Um, but like I could not tell what was going on in a lot of these action scenes. It's much sloppier and and with even less story purpose like the MacGuffin in this movie that they're chasing I don't know what it really does or why it matters I mean I do uh, if I like sit down after the movie and I'm like what did this mean you know they're chasing this device yeah they're chasing the seed this thing exact same plot as um oh Man of Steel yeah well and and there is like a world engine moment late in the film except in reverse where they're sucking things up instead Doesn't of. Doesn't it make you wish there down. was something called a world engine in that movie? It's at least fun. <laughs> Cross but over the world. This is a, a nice opportunity to get into talking about. I think the uh, the saving grace of this movie, which is Stanley Tucci, who is taking. It's not you know, enough house, for me. His house <laughs> no. gets bigger and bigger every year, but he is playing a Steve Jobs inspired, like visionary. CEO of a tech company. It's so on the um, nose, too, because there are posters hanging in his oh, office that look just like, like Steve Jobs. I wish it was more of a Steve Jobs thing. Like, it would be interesting if anything about the character was Steve Jobs other than the, those posters and his job. Because he doesn't, doesn't – I mean, Stanley Tucci is hilarious, but it doesn't feel like he's playing a character. Yeah, no. I mean, but I, I – you know, I, I don't know how much I would have gotten out of him just aping – 
dead Steve Jobs. No, but it would have been just more was... interesting if it was really like, what would it be like if a Steve Jobs figure was really caught up in this? And instead it's just like him shouting, like literally shouting algorithms. Well, he's, well, he's the only character in the film that was anything close to resembling a human arc and that he sort of develops a conscience as it goes along. But That's I think true. he's very funny and uh, increasingly so. And in a way that he, I mean, he's sort of like the John Turturro part. Uh, from the first one, but I thought John Turturro, who I love as an actor, was just that role happened to be like deeply grating because I don't think the movies had really uh, – they hadn't found a way to balance out the, the noxiousness yet and, and many would argue they uh, still haven't. But um, yeah, I thought Stanley Tucci is fun, and I think. But it's so erratic that it, like blows its load early. He just keeps yammering and yammering and yammering and nonsensically, and then there's more scenes with him. Like they shift the focus to Stanley Tucci when they hit Hong Kong, and like the energy just can't last. They can't figure out what position he's supposed to play in this ensemble. And I was much happier with T.J. Miller, who's uh, more in the first half of this movie playing Mark Wahlberg's kind of like second in command guy. He is pretty funny and he's like the glue that keeps this, the trace of characters together. Uh, and then of course they, they, he, he takes a step out of the movie and Stanley Tucci basically fills his spot and it's not as fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I find most interesting about this movie is how it's sort of uh, an inadvertent self-portrait of how m- m- mega blockbuster finances work mm. today. It's such a it's such an accurate snapshot of I mean, this is I was saying to Katie uh, earlier. It's it's the first. Of course, you know, movies are especially movies of the scale are led by money and go w- w- do what the money allows them to do. But this is the first movie that. Where the story literally follows the money. It's like the never before has uh, a film's development, a film's on-screen development been so inextricably linked to the nature of its financing. And you know, they when they arbitrarily pick up the movie and relocate it to China, uh, it's for, which is justified with a throwaway line. It's like, oh, my plant's in China. We got to go. And the movie sort of abruptly cuts halfway across the world. Um, to a bunch know, of Chinese characters to, who don't matter. It's suddenly like put in their right. hands for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think it's a really fascinating. It takes us to its logical extreme, but then you know. To come out of the movie or today to have the discussion about Pacific Rim 2, which is only even remotely possible because of Chinese box offices and the support from Chinese corporations and whatnot. I mean it's it's all very interesting to see how these things work and I think that Michael Bay um, has a very – again, I don't think this is his intention but uh, he's such a – again, as you can see in the pre-make and the problem is that the pre-make makes all of these things so much A, more succinct but B, uh, more lucidly argued than Transformers Age of Extinction. So it sort of negates all of the most interesting parts about Transformers Age of Extinction. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's a really neat snapshot of that. I think there are a lot of interesting things to that as well. And I also – what I love about these movies is that nobody gives a shit. I love – that the the stories are so incoherent and so severed from the mythologies that you don't have the whole severed internet from the mythologies like how can you even make that claim number one and two who cares i mean there's it's like 
it's it's not just severed from mythologies. It's severed from reality. Well, it's severed from if, any if trace let, of coherency. If you would let me finish. I won't. I'm saying, I'm saying is that no one cares, which is precisely the point. The whole point is you don't have everyone on the internet picking up, uh, like, oh, who's who's voicing whomever and who's going to be playing whatever. I had no idea that the, John Goodman robot was in this. I had no idea what was going to happen in the next minute. I, I think. But that's not the only other like, option okay, for a blockbuster. I'm not. I'm not saying that it's dumber. I'm just saying that it's such a – I think there is a hostile – I'm not saying that the criticism for these movies is not justified by and large. But I think there is an additional element of hostility because the people in our circles feel as if they can't claim these movies for their own, that they can't – they don't have a handle on them. I think this is deeply cynical. I'm not saying (laughs) that this is – I'm not saying that this is necessarily a – preferable alternative and that the movies have to be dumber so that they're not stale uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying that for these particular movies, it is a very, you know, I'm so bored to tears watching Captain America world police soldier, whatever because we've we've heard this I feel like exactly what's going to happen. And here, the sheer insanity of it, the gumption required, the fact that only Michael Bay can make a spectacle this big and dumb uh, is, is but the problem is it's not actually big and dumb and like even compared to Dark of the Moon, it's just it doesn't have that scale and it doesn't have that authenticity. Like I, I feel something's really lacking in this movie and I think it ends up having to do with Michael Bay either not feeling invested or feeling like he is putting something into this movie that he thinks is genuine. But because of what you were talking about with the commerce, like the blatant um, product placement in this movie or the justifications for going to China, which are so obvious now. I mean, it's exuding into the mainstream conversation about blockbusters. People know why a movie like this goes to China, not just because of the pre-make, but, you know, this is all on our radar. When you see Mark Wahlberg fall out of the sky in an alien pod, and then the first thing he does is crack open a Bud Light um, and then throw it aside. I mean, it's just like something is is really wrong here. Um, and But I think it goes against – or uh, Bay thinks that he's not that guy. Or at least he's trying to convince himself with this movie that he's not that guy. And I, Katie and I had a long subway ride back after this movie. Um, oh, my God. Where, <laughs> where it's going to start? Well, no. I think there's something thematically interesting going on in this movie that goes against the other side of it. The big bombast, which I would like to be uh, um, not relentless, but a little freed up. Like this movie is so trying to tie itself down with characters or themes. And I think a lot of it has to do with Bay's. Bay wants this movie to be the first Transformers that Spielberg wanted. Spielberg wanted that first Transformers to be about a boy in his car, that classic, uh, you know, that classic story, that classic mold. Um, and I think that this was kind of a reset button. New characters, new people. What can Bay – how can Bay make this his story, his movie? So suddenly it's about a blue-collar guy who – I mean one of the early scenes of the movies, he goes to a movie theater and they're all complaining like, why do you make sequels? You know, They're trying to do the 22 Jump Street meta thing and he can't because that is who he is. He makes sequels. He churns them out. He's part of the commerce. He's, he's Yeah, being self-aware is not a good look for Ben. No, no. It's uh, like but, the more up your own ass you disappear, the more I love you. He, like, he, so. <laughs> right. And he but he thinks that he is a pl- a blue-collar 
guy. He thinks he's a craftsman, a trades guy, and his, and he's trading in uh, in blockbusters. He's your plumber, but instead of fixing your pipes, he makes blockbuster movies for the people. And he is just like blue-collar Mark Wahlberg. I'm sorry, Cade Yeager. Uh, and so then this movie ends up being a whole, like, internal conservative of the of the modern age. Um, I kept talking about after the movie, it's like, you know, this internal conflict that the Republican Party has about extremists. You know, you have the like the Dick Cheney's of the world who want to profiteer off war or profit off war and mine mine the world and you know they don't care about anything. Or anti-immigration. There's a strong anti-immigration aspect of this film where they want to get rid of the Transformers. They don't belong on our planet. That's Kelsey Grammer's whole thing, right? And he works for the government, the evil government. Um, and then you have someone like Mark Wahlberg who lives on a farm in Texas. And Wait, are you when, aligning Bay with with liberal no, democratic? No, 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 not liberal. Like the 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 wholesome. Well, Kelsey Grammer is the bad guy. He's the anti-immigration. Right. No, that's know, what I'm saying. So there's two sides of the, the conservative government. coin going on in this movie. It has nothing to do with. It has nothing to do with liberals. It has to do with living in a liberal world. It has to do with living in Obama's world while being conservative. Um, so Mark Wahlberg's well, mm. Mark Wahlberg's not quite can Clive you, and can Bundy. Can you justify that further? Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm getting there. So I've been asking him that. For <laughs> I also I also feel like the the political symbolism of this movie is not unlike the symbolism of all this snow's tattoos and forgetting Sarah Marshall. It is a series of incongruous thoughts that will not add up to Well, no, that's I'm, I'm trying to statement. explain it, but that well that's you're doing a poor job. Well, I'm saying Mark Wahlberg's whole thing here is that he wants to be a good dad, he wants to, you know, run his daughter's life, but he has to loosen up in a liberal world too. He might be Clive and Bundy. He might gall, guns might solve all of his problems. He might tell the the extremist government who's over and interfering in his life to get off his lawn with a rifle. Um, but, you know, he also has to realize that he's living in Obama America and Romeo and Juliet laws in Texas, which only happened like a few years ago. That's something he has to deal with. He can't just be a 1950s dad who tells his daughter when to date. Um, and, and it kind of it goes throughout the whole movie. There's like an anti-technology bent um, about how will will major corporations. What? He has a robo dog. Yes, Mark Wahlberg has built a robo dog here. No, but like with the Stanley Tucci character about, you know, should things be invented? Should they not be invented? And in the end, they shouldn't be invented. Um, and the that government your- does go too far in the way that it operates. And wholesome family values are where where it's at in the end, not government interference and not necessarily liberals who want to just invent and and do all sorts of crazy things in science and change the world that way. We need, it has to be about families. It has to be about small locations. And that's what the Transformers are all about, you know, family. (laughs) You know, you're talking to the guy who wrote a 2000 word article about Godzilla being a post human <laughs> blockbuster. So I'm I'm certainly willing to give you uh, the <laughs> rope to hang yourself here. Uh, I would love to I would love to, you know, entertain a more fleshed out argument about I understand. this. But, Especially but, because I I want every I want every opportunity for insight <laughs> and understanding for these movies. Uh, I'm just not quite sold yet. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I, I understand. Encourage you to take, remember. To, to, I only take saw to this movie. I only saw this movie right. two days ago, and I've been totally dulled out by it. Like it has. I would encourage you to write about it. Destroyed the me. The I point. I tried to get him to write about it for my own website, <laughs> and he's like, "I'm not going to do that." The, no, I didn't say that. That that, that is an off 
podcast topic. But my real point about that whole thing and like the interesting thematic threads that do wind up in this movie because Bay wants something more is that that it can't handle the vehicle. It can't be in this movie that's two hours and 45 minutes long and half of it is this like CGI garbage. It's really a goulash of of nothing. Like nothing happens in this movie even in the action scenes, nothing seems to be propelling forward. And it's very strange that in I'll, – I'll give you this, David. Uh, in Dark of the Moon, at least I'm feeling the the velocity of the Battle of Chicago. I'm feeling mm-hmm. you know a skyscraper crack and tumble to the ground. Um, one thing I'm not feeling in this is, one, when the Transformers are moving, there's several times where we go close up on their faces. And I'm like, maybe it was the 3D that we were watching it in. I couldn't even look them in the eyes. Like, something was the happening. The 3D is awful. There was something this strange is a, This is a PSA. <laughs> I don't remember the 3D in the third one being, you know, a detriment to the experience of the slightest. The 3D here is gross it is dark it's poorly applied and i thought i was thinking for a while because i had so many decent experiences seeing post-converted 3d movies that we had somehow moved past this being such an issue but right. maybe it was just the conditions but there's also more i think there's more green ugly. screen in this movie which is a weird thing to think about but the scene that you were referencing on the sears tower for some reason they decide it's a smart idea to climb from a spaceship tethered to the Sears Tower. They're going to climb on these really thin wires. That's smart. They have to get off the spaceship. Um, They didn't actually have to get off the spaceship. I don't remember. Bumblebee comes and saves them anyway. Um, Bumblebee is like such an inconsistent president. Oh my God. He's around like, because everyone goes half a world away and then they all just show up again. And does he actually speak exclusively in old song lyrics that they have to like source? No, because there's Will Smith. There's Will Smith quotes in there. There's Will Smith quotes. Yeah, I think he quotes Will Smith several times. I think he speaks times. in whatever you could conceivably find on the radio. <laughs> like he's tuning to car stereo. Yeah. But anyway, in that scene, they're standing on these thin ropes, and it's so obvious, like, backdrop, green screen. It, yeah. it, there's no tension there. And then they jump on top of these little, like, scooter spaceship things flying around the city, and that doesn't – I mean, how do you get on board with any of that stuff? Nothing, none of I it seems you- real. The stuff where uh, Mark Wahlberg is running away from, uh, is it Titus Welliver on the, in the Hong Kong apartment building? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where the uh, two that, humans are fighting. Yeah, that stuff actually works really well. I, like, thought of, uh, I, I thought of David during that scene because they crashed through a window in these set of Hong Kong apartments and I kept wanting them to like accidentally fall into a Wong Kar Wai film. Like that would have okay. been really genius. So earlier today I spoke to Kevin Beely, the maker of the Transformers pre-make that we've mentioned a few times for an article that I'm writing. And he was talking about how that felt like Wong Kar Wai and how that scene had actual stakes because it's like Michael Bay was ripping off John Woo as opposed mm. to just kind of making his own digital paradise. And I was really – it reminded me that Michael Bay can really make a good movie. I mean hand-to-hand combat is not something he's famous for, but that scene works in its own weird way, even if it's kind of irrelevant to whatever's going on in the rest of the movie. Yeah, there, I, I, mean, I agree with pretty much everything Patch was saying about how the lack of weight that somehow magically was. Uh, was I'm trying not to use that word as much. Transformers three listeners, but, listeners of the show criticize me for overusing the word weight, so I'm trying to. Get uh, that whatever, out. I think you're it's right. Only applicable. I agree. It's only applicable here. <laughs> I mean, it, everything feels like. Uh, I mean, I think that it was amazing to be watching the third one and feeling like these giant dumb robots were actually, uh, you know, affecting and demolishing the city of Chicago. And the third one. I mean, I just can't believe with everything that Michael Bay and his films have accomplished that in 2014 you have that, that scene on the skies on the Sears Tower looks so 
fake. There's like nothing and not in a way that is like some sort of beautiful artifice that enhances the moment. It's just like this vomit red green screen behind them and the it, but couldn't it couldn't better casting solve this a little bit like mark Wahlberg no. is bad he's yeah, bad and i'm not like no. not in a fun campy Are you way he's a bad actor or he's a bad he's actor in this movie he's miscast i, I think it, i think you know what he fits the stupidity of the whole thing the way that shia labeouf's like manic out of control sam witwicky fit the, the model as well. And, you know, his daughter in this movie just needs to look like she's made out of wax and she does. And like everyone, you know, TJ Miller is the poor Jack Rayner Latino kid from the previous one. who's was, you know, his childhood friend. Jack Rayner is a good actor and he is completely wasted here acting like a loon yeah, yeah. at her boyfriend. He surrenders because he's not American. Did you get that part? Yeah. What? I, he he's so he's so badass because he drives cars, right? And then till halfway through the movie, when he has to look like a total dope in front of Mark Wahlberg so and make Mark the dads of the world look great, he has to give up. And then right, they find guns somehow. It all it all comes back to guns. <laughs> let's wrap this up. Wait. Oh, I wanted to say one thing. I after our conversation about kids' movies, um, uh-huh. I really don't remember. And actually, I was watching scenes from Revenge of the Fallen the other day, and it kind of fits this. So maybe I have a bad memory of this franchise. But I thought these movies were skewing younger for kids, even though they're mega violent and destructive. Um, But there is an overuse of the word bitch in this movie for me. And I I usually don't um, worry about that too much. Or like they drop the F-bomb once or twice and there are just a ton of guns in this movie i I thought there were more guns than any other transformers movie i mean many of the transformers are using guns there's one that wears a duster and goes around shooting people with machine guns and i'm like what the hell um i just thought that was very strange i i think that you know that's part of michael bay's crass sensibilities but i won't necessarily let it take away from how much these movies more than any other live action mega blockbusters of in this vein feel like kids cartoons this feels even more to me like a kids cartoon than pacific rim and i'm not saying that just because i prefer these movies i think that there's something that's just so tapped into the the manic logic of those cartoons that that it it it, it, if it cost 200 million dollars and they say this movie was budgeted 165 million dollars which if you believe that (laughs) you can believe that mark Wahlberg is an inventor but uh who knows so much like is that paid for not by china i don't know i mean and clearly they've got to have teams working around the calendar from the release of the last one to have this ready in time um the breakneck the pace three years ago i know but like i i don't know the breakneck pace at which they make these is relative to what they are is, is pretty ridiculous anyway um so you guys would highly recommend this movie yes yes Absolutely. Take take your entire. I, I was waiting, Katie, for you a little more to be like, what was wrong with this movie? Oh, like, I mean, it's mostly like, I don't really even mind the logic. The sexism is what you expect going into Michael Bay. The kind of lack of well-drawn characters for anybody. I do think I don't think Mark Wahlberg is bad, but I do wish that they had kind of run with kind of what he had going on in the beginning where you kind of think he might be crazy, where he's like, hey, I found a transformer. I'm an amazing inventor. And you're like, what if he's wrong? What if he's a horrible person? I basically was waiting for it to turn into a Can I uh, conclude this review by quoting? Wait, I was, <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you had. I thought you had finished. Um, but the the problem 
that I had with it is how bludgeoning it feels. I think, I mean, we've kind of been saying that in various different ways throughout the whole thing. You're, you feel exhausted when you get out of this movie. It's so long and it's so operates at the exact same tone for the entire time. And it's impossible to follow what the stakes are of anything. I mean, literally at the end, I thought there was one bomb and then they set off a different one. And I was like, where the fuck did that bomb come mm. from? And I have no idea how that happened. And I, I don't truly don't care. Um, I, Kind of, I, I mean, if it even if it had been ninety minutes, I don't think it would have been a good movie. But it's the exhaustion that sets in in this movie that really gets to me because, mm-hmm. like both of you guys, I think I think Michael Bay can do really amazing visuals and can and has good ideas for making blockbusters. And in this one, he just doesn't. I don't know. I think it's sprawl and it's it's excess is part of the charm. Even if I uh, even if I didn't, but like I wasn't, you know, I I felt the length uh, and I I certainly felt. The people sitting around me looking at their phones and watches and each other and sighing and speaking aloud uh, and completely disrespecting the fact that anyone in the theater might be enjoying themselves. But I did not feel the uh, the length. I mean, like, I f- it feels long, but I wasn't bored. Would I, I would cut myself if I had to see this movie again in theaters. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, I, I feel like it's bloat is part of it's charm but i do want to i want to close this review by quoting the screenwriter of pacific rim and pacific rim 2 travis beecham who tweeted five days ago we get excited about sequels because we can't really picture the movie that surprises us that's why it surprises us to this planet called earth came a pacifist being and his clan who taught us things aren't always as seen there was no one as wise and courageous and swell as the space hero whose tale I may bow to tell took his troops into battle to fight all their foes leading good against evil and everyone knows when his back's against the wall and he'd run out of luck he'd flip his body parts round and change into a truck now I'll sing you the ballad of Optimus Prime he was the greatest transformer there of all time he was a big rig, a robot and a really nice guy he was proof that a hero's more than meets the eye hey Patches what was this week's lightning round question Yes, it was in honor of um, Begin Again, a movie that David highly recommends. Um, right, David? Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Sorry, I tuned out for like half a second there and all of a sudden... It could have been dangerous. ...in the mud. I do have to say, for anyone out there, <laughs> Begin Again is one of the phoniest movies you will ever see in your life. I hope you will never see it in your whole life. There is, It's so... like There are people out there so who love thingly, it, David artificial and these people are sucker they're they're getting swindled it spoke it's to a them. heinous it sang offensive to them. movie um avoided at all costs it, it was the worst film i saw in last year i think i've actually seen a movie in the first six months of this year that i hated even more uh, <laughs> which is a film called decoding annie parker if anyone's keeping score out there but um i i say this as a vetted statement that a begin again is one of the two or three worst films i've seen in the last two or three years so for the love of god Avoid. Yes, please go rent. They uh, they came or they came together. That's what the oh, yeah. movie I'd recommend this weekend. Um. So anyway. Yes, I'm sorry. In honor of Begin Again, where Kira Knightley sings to Mark Ruffalo, if I am remembering correctly, uh, what actor actress uh, not known for their musical talent surprised you with a musical performance in a movie? David. Uh, I'm going to go with Pat Reynolds, who says Adam Scott. In parentheses, voice double be damned. And Catherine Hahn in Step Brothers, where they sing Sweet Child of Mine. 
uh, in the car. Yeah, you have to get the fucking harmonies right. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful moment in a beautiful film. Well chosen. I rented Step Brothers On Demand for free last night. Oh, good for you. Exciting. Off Crackle? No, off a... Uh, oh. I think... If, in fact, I just went to my cable... Oh, the magic of cable. Yeah. Uh, passes. Yes, I'm going to go with at... Uh, or I'm going to go with juvenile cinephile. At juvie underscore cinephile. Who said... Um, James Marsden, Enchanted. Also the only one perfectly cast in that Hairspray musical later. Yeah, yeah I don't, I don't think... he was great in Hairspray. He was great in Hairspray. He's got this, like... I mean, he was perfect for Enchanted, the clean-cut Prince Charming. I didn't realize he could sing, but he certainly has the face to sell, like, lyrical sap. I don't know, melodic bullshit of Disney movies. I feel like James Marsden... He's great in everything. He was in Walk like- of Shame. Did you see that? No, I did not. Oh, Actually, it was ho- I the horrible. Box office for that recently. It made like literally two hundred. Yeah, no one saw that. That was counter programming at the wrong time. But he's he was he was great as Liz Lemon's husband. He was great in that two seconds of X Men: Days of Future Past. Spoiler. Oh, that's I, I I adore that man and uh, that the fact that he can sing. Oh, he's only great extra points. Anyway. Oh yeah. James Marsden. James Marsden. He went to great in Sex Drive. On, uh... He's good in everything. I. Audience, tell us what the bad James Marsden movie is. No, there's plenty of bad James Marsden. Like what? No, there are plenty of... What? He's just not bad in them. Right, okay. He's great in Sex Drive. Bad James Marsden performances, the then. I would, I'm looking for answers. The Notebook? Okay. Is he bad? No, that's a bad movie. Um, okay. I'm going with Jordan Hoffman, a human being I've never heard of before in my life, who says, uh, uh, unpopular pick Johnny Depp and Sweeney Todd, which I'm 100% in favor of. I liked the Sweeney Todd movie a lot. And I thought Johnny Depp was good in it, and I don't think it was that important that he's, he wasn't that good a singer. He's no Michael Cerverus. Well, sure, he's not like a trained classical singer, but he's really good in that part. He can sing well enough, and I think his version of the wolf in Into the Woods could also be really interesting. Really? Yeah. I, I've never seen it. I've only listened to the score, so I don't. there's nuances that I surely don't understand, but I don't know. I feel like Johnny Depp has like literally a lupine quality to him that I think could be good. He was kind of like a gothic Rex Harrison in uh, Sweeney Todd. It worked. It worked that, that time. That is the biggest uh, like backhanded compliment I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, yes. Okay, that's what I was going for. <laughs> uh, so, you know, send me your hate mail about Into the Woods. I, uh, I will see it live someday. That does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week to talk about some stuff. Something. It's going to be 4th of July. It's going to be fun. I hope so. we review Tammy. That's what I'm rooting for, but I doubt it. Yeah? You're rooting for Tammy? I will be taking the week off. Maybe we'll talk about boyhood. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about uh, Begin Again. Well, well, let's, <laughs> let's do it. You can do an all Begin Again Tammy episode. And, <laughs> and uh, I will just be, yeah, my body will be in a cabin in the woods somewhere. Yeah, Dave will be paying no attention. Anyway, uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet all over the place, and I try and put everything on mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the editor-at-large of Little White Lies Magazine. I also write for The Dissolve and the AV Club and whatever, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair's Hollywood, where uh, I did not review Transformers, but uh, Richard Lawson did He hated it, so it's hilarious. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-I-Y-R-E-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. And are you beautiful and pale with yellow hair like her? I'd 
want you beautiful and pale the way I've dreamed you were Joanna. Joanna.